Hey guys, this is Pastor Zach, and you are listening to Sermon Notes here at HPC. John chapter 10, if you were here last week, we, I think we got through like one and a half verses of John chapter 10, and we're not calling it a series because we just don't do that here, but what we are calling it is um, a continuation. It's, it's, this has been one 13-year series on the Word of God. Um, so we're going to stick with the Word of God, and we just happen to be in the next couple verses after the first one. Last week, we, uh, we really hammered um, the question that Jesus presents us with when uh, in the opening line, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep but climbs up some other way, he's a thief and a robber. And we really took our time um, going through like several a myriad of possibilities of ways that the enemy can get into our lives and the way that he robs, the way that he thieves, the way that he steals, kills, and destroys. Um, But the question is not what he's there to do. The question is, how did he get in? And so following this question, Jesus says, but listen, there is one who does come through the door, and it's the shepherd. And at the end of that service, we encourage everybody in here In fact, we prayed a prayer together to invite Jesus into our hearts, uh, to change our lives, to be our shepherd. We we believe the truth of the gospel. We believe the truth of the cross. We believe the truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Amen? And so at the end of all of that, we get to this place where the shepherd has come in. Now, once he's in, things are just getting started. All right? And I think this this is where, as believers, we can, we can come quickly out of alignment. It's like we go into a church service or into a meeting or sit down with a friend who's there on a mission to tell us about the Lord and we pray the prayer and we feel like, okay, it's like a box that we check because we love to check boxes. But in reality, we're just getting started. And I think I've shared from the pulpit before, I heard this a number of years ago, that um, statistically, A believer's theology stops growing, stops developing after six months of being a Christian. Now, I think it was Colin who was up here a couple weeks ago talking about being born again. And he was like, he was like, he didn't jive with the whole like being born again thing until he read it, like when he was really first just getting into the word. What's interesting is like when you accept the Lord into your heart, like for real, not just because you were baptized as an infant, not because you took a class, not because, you know, your parents uh, had you dedicated or something, but because you've really made a personal decision to accept the truth of Jesus and his salvation and his lordship in your life. The day you do that, scripture is very clear, like this is being born again, but not of water, of the spirit. So we're born again but we're newborn babies. So for our theology, for everything we believe and know and understand about God and all the mysteries that we're, that we're running after about God, for these things to stop at the six-month mark is like a six-month-old baby just kind of being all set. And, and if we're really like honest with ourselves, it's not about, surely we've learned by now in this church that, that our theology is not just about how much we can cram into our head. It's not just about how many deep theological books we can read or how many classes we can take at seminary. It has everything, or how many YouTubes you can watch for some of you in here. We'll have an altar call after class. But really, it's, it's a relationship with the Lord. What you know about your wife, what you know about your, your kid, what you know about your mom did not come from reading a book. 
What you learned about your father didn't come, uh, you know, from just, you know, reading whatever has been written about him. No, it's from the relationship that you had with your parents. And the more you know them, the more you become like them. Anybody say amen? <laughs> just kidding. We're laughing about that. So anyway, end of day, the deal is this. We've got to log the hours. That's the only way we move past. I think what happens is we learn all the things we can learn, and the relationship never really gets off the ground. And so that six-month mark, we plateau off and kind of taper down into um, Sunday morning existence at best. But Jesus is saying once the shepherd has entered, things are just getting started. Watch. So, but he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he puts forth all his own, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. All right. You can just leave that verse up for like the whole rest of the service, because this is pretty much where we're going to land. First and foremost, he's allowed in. Now... This does not begin and end with salvation. It begins with salvation. But there are more places in our lives than we need to let him into than just our hearts. Amen? So if you're writing things down, you can write this down. The salvation, the season, and the situation. The salvation, the season, and the situation. Our salvation is kind of like our introduction, our initiation into the faith. Right? We say... Lord, forgive my sins, come into my life. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Probably not in that order. Somebody led you in a prayer much more eloquent than that. But at the end of the day, we pray these things, we accept the truth of the gospel, and we're saved. We're born again. But if we stop inviting Jesus in there, the deal is we haven't lived the rest of our lives yet. So what typically happens is, and I got to a point, I was in my like early, early 20s, and I was, um, we were traveling around doing ministry and stuff. And I remember leading somebody to the Lord, and I felt like this burden to just say, hey, listen, it's going to get hard. Like, the enemy does not want you to accept Jesus as your Lord. He wants you running around bowing to everything else. So I'm going to tell you right now, I'm not going to tell you, like, hey, you're all set now. Life is going to be good from here. No, it's going to crack open a big can of hell. And, and, and it's going to feel like chaos. It's going to feel like everything's falling apart. And I felt like the Lord just put this thing on my heart like, all right, this is how you're going to lead people to the Lord from now on. You're going to tell them how hard it's going to be. And I was like, whoa, that doesn't sound like a good sales pitch. <laughs> Who's going to go for that? Well, the people who really believe the truth of the gospel will still go for it, right? The people who are just looking for a good time, it'll kind of weed them out. And so at the end of the day, Salvation is just the beginning. And we wake up the next morning or we walk out the doors from that prayer we prayed last week at the altar or in our chair and we invite him into our heart. And all of a sudden, we've walked into a new season, a season where, yes, we believe all this stuff is true and we've accepted that hope of glory, but we've also painted a big target on our back. And if you've ever wondered, why does the world have it so easy? Why aren't they dealing with the stuff that we're dealing with? Well, number one, they're not convicted. I am convinced that most of the turmoil that we as believers suffer from 
is conviction. A good strong case of conviction because we're not actually obedient and submissive and surrendered to it. So we've got to keep coming back to that. Oh, why do I feel so sick to my stomach? Every time I do this, every time I look at this, every time I say that, every time I go there, every time I meet up with this individual, whatever it is, conviction. Well, that's number one. You just invited that sick feeling in the pit of your stomach when you got saved. Now you're not going to feel as good about doing everything that you used to do. I love that. Thank you, Lord, for conviction. Amen? And you know this is the Pentecostal church. They're like, yeah, conviction. I love that. Thank you, Jesus. Okay, so you've entered into a new season. And guess what? There will be another season after that and another season after that. And the honeymoon stage wears off. And then you come into a new season, a season of relationship, a season of, of occupation, of vocation, a season of whatever. You go from your undergrad to your master's, a season of, you know, something with your family, a, a, a loved one dies, a, a parent gets sick. Something happens. And when it does, we're ushered into a new season that guess what? We have to keep him invited Keep him welcome. Keep the door open for the Lord to come into that place with you. The worst thing that we can do is say, okay, I've got the God thing all set. That room is all set. Close the door and move into the next area. No, not just your salvation, but your season. Some of you guys are in very difficult seasons right now. Some of you are in awesome seasons, but they're full of questions. Like, huh? Is this right? Is this the one? Am I on the right track? Am I moving in the right direction? Is it, is it this one or is it that one? And, and I get it. And honestly, all those questions are really good questions to ask. You're not wrong for asking them. The problem is that the one who answers those questions is locked in your basement. The one who, the one who brings the solution to all those problems, you left him in the foyer of your house and you moved into the back recesses. And so whatever, whatever it is, whatever season you're in, invite him in. And then finally, situation. This is like the moment by moment. And I think that as we mature in the Lord, as we grow, um, you know, we mature past the salvation thing and into the seasonal thing. And we realize because the pressure's turning up and the heat's turning up, so seasonally we become really familiar with the altar. Seasonally, we, we start to become really familiar with... The, the, that place on our knees or on our face. But the Lord wants even more. Minute by minute, moment by moment, the situations. Because here's the deal. We can have seasons of six months. Like Ashley and I are in a, a weird season right now with our family. We're living with my in-laws because that's what I can afford on a pastor's salary. <laughs> and so we're, we're, uh, we're living with our in-laws, and this is like a different kind of season for us. We're like, we're not in a house, and we, this is for the first time in like 15 years that we've been married, 15 and a half years. And, um, and now we have four kids, and we're all there, you know? And we were thinking about, you know, like, you know, shopping off the kids into other people's houses, just dropping them off occasionally, and playing the pastor's card or something like that. But we're all there. And when we moved in, it was kind of like, with no like foreseeable end to this season. It was like, a, because there were some things with the house and then a contract fell through and all this other stuff. And so we were like, oh, all right, this is gonna be interesting. And so we came in and, and to be honest with you, 
The seasonal thing, it was like, whoa, we're going like, to need a lot of prayer. Everything's going to be different. Most of our lives are packed away in those pod shipping containers right now. Uh, and we need extra grace, like lots of grace from each other, for each other, and from all of you guys. Um, somebody say amen. <laughs> and, uh, and so what's interesting about it, though, is, is that that season is full of a million situations. And while we can be so diligent to invite the Lord into the season, we can start to say, but I've got this one. All right, he's here with me. He's walking with us, but I got this one. I'll take care of this one. I know what to do here. Not paying attention to the fact that the whole reason that we're in this season is because the Lord wants our attention in the moment. In the moment. That's why you're where you are. Not because you did something wrong. It's because the Lord wants even more right out of you than you've ever seen before. The salvation, the season, and the situation. All right. So let's keep going. So once he's allowed in to the salvation, the season, situation, it says he is heard, right? And the sheep hear his voice. I was talking with Ron last night, as I've been talking with Ron a lot more lately. <laughs> and Ron is one of our elders and my father-in-law. And uh, I want to quote him because he said something pretty profound last night. He said, the greatest de deficit in the church today is hearing God. The greatest deficit in the church today. Well, what about all the social? What about the poor people? What about the mission? What about all the other stuff? Yep. That's all there. We're, we're, I think the church has missionized the world. We're in more places in the world than we've ever been. Probably doing more damage than we've ever done because we're there not hearing. We're in those third world countries. We've penetrated those places. I remember being in Nairobi, Kenya a number of years ago. Easy. <laughs> Next door, right? So, yeah, that's right. West, is it? It's West, yeah, it is. It's East Africa. Is it? I don't know where it was. I just got on a plane. I don't even know. I, uh, you know, I went to Bible school, so. But I appreciate you. So we're in Africa, and we're driving that, and we're, like, told about how lost this place is and how they need this, and they're so impoverished, and this and that, and, you know, they, the, the, the crusades that we were doing and the clinics that we were doing. And we get there, and we're driving down these streets in Nairobi, and there are more churches than the Bible Belt. Like, like every other storefront is a church. And I'm thinking, are we, like, a little late to the game? Because I think somebody else heard the news and got here first, and maybe we should just, like, come alongside. The, what are we doing here? Not something new. Truth is... There's something that's a far greater need than that we prepare another meal for the homeless. There's something far greater than that we build another church in another town. There's something far greater than that we bust through the wall and do an extension onto King's Academy, although that's a need too. There's, there's something far greater than that we host another Bible study 
or that we read another book or that we sing another song. There's something that is in far greater demand, and that is simply hearing the voice of God. We have to hear him. We have to hear him. Because more dangerous than not doing any of those other things is doing all of those other things and not hearing him. Why can't I hear? Well, we're, as we go forward in this, we're going to slowly wink backwards. Why can't I hear him? I remember in the first like year or two of the church, year two and a half years, um, we were preaching a lot of messages, and there was a lot of emphasis on hearing him. And uh, we felt like there was just this like momentum from heaven to like be heard, like the Lord just wanted to be heard. And we're working against um, a lot of the reformed church in New England that is like God's not speaking anymore. And then the ones who are saying God is still speaking are doing so to justify lifestyle choices that are 100% unbiblical. And so you're caught in this tension of like, no, the canon is closed. Scripture's done. We're not hearing him like in the infallible, inerrant sense. We're not hearing him like God's saying things that are contrary to Scripture. No, we're hearing him like he is speaking the application of this truth to my life in real time, if I'll just listen. Why can't I hear him? Well, because maybe you haven't invited him in. Why can't I hear him? I got saved. I used to hear him. Well, that was a season, and this is a new one. Well, why can't I hear him? I pray all the time in this season. Okay, but what about right now? Are you inviting him into this? Have you truly surrendered this? Have you truly held this with an open hand in a way that the Lord can speak to it instead of, look at all these other things. I want to hear you about these things, and the Lord's saying, but what's behind your back? A situation that I haven't been invited into. Next, when they hear him, watch this, okay? So he's invited in, then he's heard, order, 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 order in the court, amen? Order, order, order. It has to happen in order. You don't get to pull and pluck things out of this that you want without understanding that they are built on the foundation of the preceding truths. He's heard. What happens when he's heard? Here's what happens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. He brought me out. I feel like we need the rhythm section up here. We'll get some shout going on. He brought me out. We all want that freedom. That's our favorite thing about this. That's why you go to a Pentecostal church, because you want the freedom. We want the freedom. We want to know that we can be set free from all of these things. It was, um, it was interesting. I was, uh, I was talking with uh, Amy and Justin, who uh, were here for the encounter event this weekend. And uh, Ashley and I had lunch with them the other day. And um, they uh, come from the Anglican priesthood. And he's an Anglican priest, and they have served in that for years and years. And he said, they, I asked, because they both have like a Holy Spirit background, like their, their origins of faith started in that. And we were like, so how did you guys end up in like this like ultra reformed area? And they said, well, because we felt that in the charismatic circles, there was like zero structure. 
there was like zero infrastructure. And, and it was so messy and the theology was so loose and so open. And, and so coming from them to hear them say about you all that you are incredibly well-formed believers, I was like, all right, huh? yeah. Yes, they are. Yes, they are. Amen. Now, I don't know if she was just talking about the first service or the second service. But, but I, I was thinking, you know, we hear the rumors about Pentecostal services, and we've all seen Blues Brothers, you know? And so we know what it looks like to be crazy in Pentecostal. But what I love about this church, what I love about you all is that you, you understand that along with that freedom comes an immense responsibility to know, know, know him is to love, love, love him. And I do, yes, I do. This echoes all over the room, hands all over. That's how you, you, you know you're a piano player first. You can't sing a line without doing this. Some of you guys are like, what the heck? What's he doing with his hand? But it's, that's it, chords, playing chords. I just, um, I just believe with my whole heart that that freedom, that, that freedom, it's only loose when it's messy. How do you clean it up? You let it get specific. He calls them out by name. See, if we just get lost... He calls me out. Shut up. <laughs> now it's like out into what? There's nothing there. You just jumped out into a universe of bad teaching and nonsense, a, a, a whole galaxy of lies and, and, and heresy and all sorts of wiggle room that you don't belong in. But if you're really hearing him, if you're coming out, not because you saw him brought somebody else out, so you're trying to latch on. but you heard him call your name. All of a sudden, this changes everything. Now it's getting specific. Now I'm talking to your heart, Pastor Kurt. Now I'm talking to your heart, Joy. Now I'm speaking, calling you by name, Paul. Now I'm talking about every single thing, Edwin, that is specific to your life. And this is built on, you know, decades of your history. This is how I've revealed myself to you. This isn't about anybody else in this room. I am going to call you out. I am bringing you into freedom. I am speaking truth over your life, but I'm doing it by name. Well, can't I just claim his truth for myself? You can try, but you may not be ready for that truth yet. You remember when we said here how we prefaced last message about how, about how Jesus spoke truth, but he also spoke it in order? He didn't just come out rapid fire, machine gun, like, cut, 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 cut. No, it was like even the promises, they, they came in order. And when we just get loosey-goosey about claiming truths, we don't understand the foundation that those promises are built on. And so it's absolutely imperative that we're not seeking what God did for somebody else. It doesn't mean he won't do it for you, and it definitely doesn't mean he can't do it for you. It might mean that he won't until you're ready to hear him call your name. Hearing about God is edifying. Hearing from God is leading. I'll say it one more time. 
We spend a lot of time hearing about God, and we think that it's, it's meeting all the criteria necessary as believers. Hearing about God is edifying. When you read the books and the daily breads and, the, and the, you listen to the positive and encouraging K-love and when, you, when, you're, when you're digesting the, 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 the soup for the soul and all this kind of stuff, all of this stuff, you know, it, it's edifying. It's strengthening. It makes you feel good. It reminds you of who God is. These promises are in there. But hearing from God is leading. Just being edified doesn't mean you're going anywhere. And today we have a church that has had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years of edification. And very rarely are we truly led. We got to hear from him. Amen. Okay. And when we hear from him, we're brought out. So he's leading by name and then we're brought out. Now you want to hear something interesting that, um, that phrase brought out, it comes from the Greek ekbalo. And that's not just like a shepherd bringing his sheep outside of the pen and into, you know, into some free time and then back in. It's, it's actually, it literally means, um, it has the implication of force overpowering opposite force. So when, it, when, when we're told that the shepherd brings us out, it's like there's a force keeping us in and the force of the shepherd overpowers that force to bring us out. So for any of us that think that we're going to experience the being brought out without tension, without opposition, without pushback, without strain, you're not going to ever experience what it means to be on the outside. We're brought out, and we're only brought out when he's leading Freedom, saints, if you're writing things down, freedom never comes from our initiative, but only from our submission to him. A lot of times we, we feel like if we want to be free from something or free to do anything, it means that there's got to be this, like we're going to initiate that freedom based on this sort of passive truth about him. But if you read this and you understand this order, we only experience freedom when we submit to his leading. And then he brings us out. There's no sheep making it out without him, okay? So the next line is really good and convicting. It says, he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Can you put the next verse up, please? And when he puts forth all his own, when he leads them out, he goes ahead of them. Okay, well, wait a minute. Didn't we just say he was leading us by calling us by name and bringing us out? Well, yes, but here's the problem. A bunch of sheep now outside the pen are at greater risk than they were inside the pen. But we love it. We love the freedom. We love the goosebumps. We love, I'm coming out. <laughs> and we're like dyeing our wool different colors and we're like getting like, beads in it and dreads and also and and uh what's interesting is we think that the whole point of all of this shepherdship was just to bring us out that's when you need him that's when you need him when you start to step over the boat listen peter didn't need jesus until he stepped out on the water he didn't need jesus he he liked jesus 
He liked his teaching. He liked to be edified. <laughs> he even liked to be led out of the freedom that he was in and his like, you know, monotony of a fishing job and a whatever crude life that he lived. He now has the shepherdship of Jesus, but he doesn't really need him. He doesn't know what needing Jesus is until he steps out on the water. And for those of you who are feeling that tug right now over this year of your life, that the Lord's calling you to step out. Y'all thought I was going to do a Catherine Coleman right there and just like walk out on the air. Maybe next week. What you need... What's you, what, what we have to understand is that coming out, we've got to put him back at the head. Coming out, he's got to be at the head. He is the head of the church. Jesus is the head. You are not the head. Okay? He goes ahead of them. Once we've tasted freedom, it can become very difficult to stay behind Christ. And I want to challenge us this morning, if you're frustrated because you're not where you used to be, make sure you didn't move out ahead of him. Just let that linger. Do you have to let it linger? Can you come up and play some cranberries for the altar call? It would be really powerful. Now... What's interesting is once we've established that he's at the head, see, we're talking about two different types of sheep here. And there are two different types of sheep in this room. There are the types of sheep that struggle with not trying to get out ahead of him. I'm there. This is me, all right? Full disclosure. I know you guys never probably would have imagined that. But I'm... But it's true. Then there's another, so Jesus has to address them first. They're like, whoa, 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 whoa. If you've ever um, taken kids on a field trip, all right, we had the privilege of bringing a bunch of King's kids with some teachers and stuff and a, a couple of buses down to Trinity Rep for, uh, for a Christmas carol. And there's two different kinds of kids. There's the kids who are rushing off the bus, okay, like, you know, like they've been in it for a year, and it was just like to ride from here to Providence. And they're rushing off the bus and they like, they like become this herd of cats just like running all over. And you're like, oh my God. Like, do we start calling parents now or do we get on our faces or do we just call the cops and like the SWAT team? Kids are everywhere. And then you have some other kids. You have the kids who you got to check the bus and make sure they got off when everybody else did. You know what I'm talking about. You were, were you one of those kids? No, you're too good for that. You're better than that, Cheryl. You got to check the bus. In fact, the bus has now come equipped with alarms. You have to walk. The bus driver has to get up. We found this out the hard way because we were trying to figure out what, what ha- why is this bus alarm going on? We just bought the buses. We don't have CDLs yet, right? But me and John are like, let's take these buses for a spin. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, we just got the buses. Ahead of the pack, yeah, ahead of the pack. That's right, we're out ahead. So we hop in the bus. I'm like, 
we have bus keys and buses, and we were the kids that I got in trouble because I took the band box truck. The marching band had a box truck in high school, and I got in trouble because I drove that one time because I'm always trying to push it. You know, is there a rule? I probably shouldn't be driving this, but I bet I can. <laughs> and so me and John, we're looking at these buses. We're like, steering wheel, gas pedal. What do you, you can't mess this up. And now that we're part owners of the mall, we're like, this whole parking lot and the ring road, this is all private property and our name's on the deed. We're driving these buses. So we get in the buses and we drive them and we, and we were gonna like pull up to the door and see if all the staff would get on, but we have too many rule followers on this staff. We knew they'd never get on the bus with us, but we go to park them. And when we do, the alarm's going off. It's like this like, you know, like death, defying alarm that's going to wake the dead. So we are like trying to figure this out. We probably broke something. We messed something up. I'm like searching YouTubes. How do you shut this off? John's calling the manufacturer and I'm sending an email to the guy we bought it from. This bus is defective. And then I see on a YouTube somewhere, they're like, you got to walk to the back, check all the seats. And there's a button in the back of the bus that you have to push to shut the alarm off to remind the bus drivers that there's probably some stoner who fell asleep in the back of the bus. There's some kids hiding out, making out back there, and they want to be left alone for the day. Any hands in the room? Anybody? Anybody stay on the bus a little too long? You know who you are. So yes, they're the ones who go out ahead, but for the rest of the sheep in the room, there's another line. So. He goes ahead of the ones who want to go ahead, but they're submissive and surrendered, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. What does that mean? Well, quite simply, at its lowest common denominator, it means you've got to be within earshot. It means, it means if you err on the other side, like, nah, I'm going to hang out in the back of the bus. It's good enough. I came for the ride into downtown, but now I'm going to hang back. It's good enough. I'm here with the team, but I'm going to stay in the locker room while they all go out and play ball. That'll be the only sports illustration you ever hear me give. <laughs> it's good enough. I showed the effort. I got dressed this morning. I signed the parental permission slip for my parents, and I'm here. And I'm here. No. He goes out ahead and they follow. And in our church today, we have these two extremes. We have the ones who we want to go out. And of the disciples, it's like you had the Peters. You had the ones who were, you had the zealots, right? You had Simon. You had the ones who were constantly having to be reeled back in by Jesus. And then you had the ones who were always lingering just far enough away. That was the irony, right? Peter goes from having to be restrained from cutting off the soldier's ear to the one who's lingering in the courtyard just far enough away to still deny it. So much of the church, we used to joke about it. It was the back, you know, the back couple of rows. No offense if you're in the back. I know there weren't a lot of seats left. But the, the, the back couple of rows are, are, you know, it's like, well, if things get weird in here, I can sneak out. When we first started going to Pentecostal, we had moved to North Carolina from Illinois. And I remember 
we went to a church called The Lighthouse for one year. And it was a church I got saved in. I was nine years old. I got saved in that church at the altar and baptized the same night. And I remember exactly why. Not because I fell in love with Jesus. Not because I realized that the promises were too good, you know, to not embrace. But because I was scared of hell. (laughs) It's why every Pentecostal got saved. Because you didn't want to shovel coal for eternity. And so I give my heart to the Lord and I get baptized without a change of clothes. All right, right, chafed on the way home and then for the rest of my life. And, uh, and at the end of the day, we were there for you. But I remember, I remember I had an older sister, Lynette, bless her heart. She was scared to death. She would fit more into the reformed, probably uh, camp of theology because she, she's not a fan of the unknowns. And she would want to sit in the back and literally... We would sit down, worship would get started, and she would go to the bathroom. And she would stay in the bathroom. Remember that movie, uh, Summer School? Like the guy that was in the bathroom the entire semester? It was like that. My zipper got stuck. She would stay in the bathroom the whole service because she was petrified that somebody might call her out and bring her down to the altar and pray over her. And people are falling out, slain in the spirit all over the place. And it was crazy, crazy Pentecostal stuff. And there was this tension between wanting to hold it at arm's length and then the rest of us wanting to push in and push past and see what's next. And I think that today, saints, if you're in the room and you're more comfortable behind him, that's a good place to be. But sometimes we can get comfortable not keeping up. We can get comfortable not keeping up. We can get comfortable in that warm place instead of in the crucible. And that warmth, well, we see it, right, in the letter from Jesus in Revelation. The warm place is a dangerous place. The warm place lets us, again, check the box. I got in the bus. I came along for the ride. But I'm not going in. I'm not going to taste it. I'm not going to try it. I'm not going to touch it. I'm back here. I'll just watch. And we get more and more comfortable with that place and less and less engaged. And the farther we get, the less we hear. The farther we get, the more callous we grow. The farther we get, the harder it is to really know what it is that he's speaking over our lives. Saints, don't get distracted in here about how anybody or everybody else is experiencing the Lord and his presence. Don't get sidetracked by how somebody else is receiving him or hearing him or engaging with him. Don't don't misunderstand the early church. It says it says right that they were all together, they were all praying together, they were all breaking bread together, right? They were all being taught together. It doesn't say that they were all being slain in the spirit together. It doesn't say that they were all screaming in tongues at the top of their lungs together. It doesn't say that they were all like, you know, whatever. Why? Because the Lord knows that there's different kinds of sheep. And it's okay. What's not okay is to get so far away that we don't hear him anymore. What's not okay is to settle for being along for the ride. And finally, it says... 
So they follow, the sheep follow him. And I'll just say this, you can write it down. If you're behind him and hungry, then you're too far behind him. Because he's feeding us. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leads me beside still pastures and beside still waters and green pastures. I don't know, so it's my first day. Well, why isn't my soul restored? Why am I still thirsty? Why am I dying of starvation? You're too far away. You're too far behind. And finally, it says we follow. Why? Because we know his voice. The more we let him in, the more we hear him. The more we hear him, the more he leads us. The more he leads us, the more we're brought out. And the more we're brought out, the more he's sought out. The more we let him lead from that place, the more confident we'll be to follow him. And the more we follow him, the more we know him. The sheep know his voice. Would you stand with me, saints? The sheep know his voice. I believe the Lord wants to speak to some people in this room this morning. I believe he wants to speak to everybody in this room this morning. But some of you, maybe you'd say, I've never actually heard God. I've never actually, I don't even know what that's like. Well, I'm gonna tell you what it's not usually like. It's not usually like Morgan Freeman in a white suit saying, thus saith the Lord. It's not usually that. You gotta get Hollywood out of your head. You gotta get past Jim Carrey. You gotta get past all of the, the, the facades and the, the pictures and the this and the that, and you gotta move. It doesn't happen here, and it doesn't happen here. It happens here. It happens here. See, in charismatic circles like ours, we're really concerned with getting it from here to here. Why? Because we think as soon as you stop just knowing it and start feeling it, that's what makes it real. But in truth, the enemy knows how to tug these strings. And that's why Jesus goes on to say, he says, a stranger they simply will not follow, but will flee from him because they do not know his voice. The enemy isn't concerned about getting us in a, a single file line behind him. He's concerned with getting us out of the single file line behind Jesus. When he speaks and that's all we hear, we scatter chaos, confusion, this way, that way, the other way. But when we can get past that and get back to his voice, order will be restored in our lives. When we can get past this, what we're thinking and all the stuff racing around in our head and our doubts and our confusion and why we can't piece it all together. And this just doesn't make sense. And you know, if it wasn't for this book of the Bible, maybe I'd buy it. But I just, I don't believe it. This thing, that thing, I think, you know, whatever it is, fill in the blank. Maybe you're wrestling with like, with like a man being the head of a woman. 
Maybe you're wrestling with the idea of, of paying your tithes. Maybe you're wrestling with, with something, one of, the, one of the commandments, or, well, I don't get it. Like, I've got a gay cousin, and I don't understand why that's a sin. They're a good person. It has to move from here to here and then here. We've got to get past even the feeling. We've got to get past even the emotion. The heart piece of this is good, and we're designed by God to have it. But we've got to let it go deeper. Our spirit is waiting at the, the, the innermost places of our lives. Our spirit is waiting and longing for that voice. The voice that knows us, that knows every hair on our head, that knows the day you were born, that knit you together in your mother's womb. The voice that spoke all of creation into existence and the voice that breathed life into us. The voice that called Lazarus out of the grave and is calling every one of you the same way. We have to hear it here. And that only happens when everything else is quiet. I'll say it happens best when everything else is quiet. You remember Elijah on the mountain? There's a whirlwind. There's an earthquake, the fire, the flood, the tornado, the, the, all the epic things that we think God's trying to tell us something, but really he's using all of the chaos and the commotion to drive us back into that quiet place so we can hear the still, small voice. Lord, we want to hear you. We need to hear you. Lord, this isn't just a head game. This isn't just a, a theology. This isn't just what we know about you or even believe about you. Lord, but it, it needs to be knowing you intimately, knowing you better than we know ourselves, better than we know anything else in our lives. Lord, help us to know you. Lord, I thank you for the way that you lead us the way that you bring us out, the way in your grace and in your kindness, you lead us to repentance and you take us out of dry places and into green pastures, the way, Lord, that you, you use desert and, and wilderness seasons of our lives to build our trust in you, to follow you through valleys, through scary places and, and, and chaotic moments and seasons. Lord, we invite you in to be led by you to be brought out by you. I thank you, Lord, that you don't, you don't just reveal yourself to us so that we can invite you into that storm and then we just stay there. But Lord, we invite you in to be the one to lead us out. So find in us that heart of a bride. Find in us that submission of a flock that will go after you, that will follow you, not from a distance, not from a safe, comfortable distance. Not from a place where we can pick and choose the things you say. But Lord, where we can embrace, Lord, even the suffering that is part of this walk. That we can embrace the sorrow that at times we inevitably feel. That we can, that we can embrace, Lord, the, the difficulties, the tension 
of that opposing force that wants to keep us back in those places that you're drawing us out of. Lord, we will take it all if it means following you, if it means knowing you, if it means hearing you. We love you and we give you all the glory and the honor in Jesus' name, amen. This is Pastor Zach and you've been listening to HPC Sermon Notes. Love you guys, God bless you and have the best day of your life.